Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kabbalah and Coffee. Today is November 15th, 2020. Who would have thought? I mean, I don't know. I guess we would have thought that November 15th, 2020 would have arrived. But it's, it's great to be able to connect both in person and also online in our dual classroom format, which is great. I love it. The more, the merrier. So I want to begin by exploring the nature of the human psyche. Or really more precisely, it's not really human psyche because that's too limiting. It's really the nature of the human personality as, as described in Kabbalah. And we've explored this many times, but I want to go in a bit of a slightly different direction today. And you know, every time we explore things, it's always a little bit different. And there's always, um, there's always a chiddush. There's always something new to be found. So let's, let's do this. I want to go through kind of the structure, the inner structure of the human condition as explored in Kabbalah. Okay. And by the way, today's topic, for those that recall from the email, if you're not getting the email, let me know. I'll send you the email um, every week. But for those that got the email, and for those that remember, the email was pure, I think it was pure delight. Was that the email? Could somebody thumbs up and let me know? Yes? Pure delight? Was that it? Something like that? All right. Don't worry. I don't read my emails either. I'm kidding. So <laughs> pure pleasure or pure delight? One of those two. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, pleasure and delight, I'm going to use the word pleasure. Pleasure is one of the attributes of the human being. But let's, in order to understand that, we need to really do a, um, a deep dive into the inner workings of the mensch, inner workings of the human being. So we're going to start from the bottom up. And what I mean by the bottom up is we're going to start from a place of action and move to a more sublime place. In other words, we're going to explore the human being from the most practical side to the most, I don't know, the deepest side. We're going to begin with the exploration of the ten spherot. And the ten spherot are not only cosmic powers, but they're also personal powers, powers of the soul. And they comprise, typically we explain that, they, that they're comprised of three intellectual powers and seven emotional powers. But of the seven emotional powers, the lowest three, namely Netzach, I'm sorry, the lowest four actually, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, and Malchut, those are considered to be functional powers or what I would call maybe behavioral powers of the soul. In other words... There's how we think, and then there's how we feel, and then there's how we behave. So let's talk about the lowest three or four of the soul powers. Netzach, Hod, and Yesod, which I think somehow always get the least attention. Chachma, Bina, and Dat get a lot of attention. Chesek, Vur, Teferi get, get a lot of attention. But somehow, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod, eh, they may not get a lot of attention. So let's talk about that for a second. Netzach, the energy of Netzach is ambition. It means being driven toward a goal. And by the way, Netzach is the power to be driven. It's not about where you're driven toward. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like Netzach says you're driven toward a certain action or a certain behavior. Netzach doesn't tell you where to go. Netzach propels you on the journey toward that thing. Does that make sense? 
Netzach is the fuel to your fire. Netzach specifically has a connotation of victory or conquering. You know, if you use the word victory or conquering, what does that imply? If somebody says, I was victorious, what does it imply inherently? Help me out here. Joy, go ahead. Went to war. Went to war, good. What else? What else does that imply? What else does, somebody says victory, what does it imply? Domination. Domination, what else? Achieved result. What, good, what else? Yes, all true, what else? What else does it imply? Victory or conquering, what does it imply? There's one piece that's missing, or that I'm looking for. Someone lost, good. Okay, that's kind of along the lines of what I'm thinking. See, victory implies that there's opposition in the way. You with me? Yeah? If somebody says, I was victorious or I conquered, that implies that there was an obstacle in the way. There was a foe, there was a challenger, there was a challenge, there was an obstruction in the way. And you push through to conquer it. Now, it could be internal could be external. You know, a person could say, I conquered my own fears. Yeah? I, I, which means that standing in between me and what, I wanted to, what, what, and what I wanted to achieve were my fears, and I conquered my fears. But again, when we use the word conquer, it implies an enemy. An enemy. Opposition. Something that we had to get over or past. Netzach. So here's the point. Netzach, as a soul power is the ability to face the opposition and to, and, and to nonetheless move forward. It's kind of like, you know, what happens when we hit a bump in the road? Do we stop moving? Do we say, like, I'm out? Like, it was nice while it lasted, while it was easy. But I hit a bump in the road, that's it. No, Netzach pushes you past the obstacle. It blasts through the walls that are put up between you and your destination. That's Netzach. What about Hod? Because opposite of Netzach is Hod. So what's Hod? Hod is the ability, Hod is the power of yielding to something else. It's the opposite power of Netzach. Netzach is when you encounter the opposition, when you encounter the other, push through, conquer, be victorious over it, dominate, whatever, whatever word you want to use. It doesn't have to be in an unhealthy way. It could be in a good way. Somebody says, I have a fear of, I don't know, I have a fear of public speaking, right? But I push through, and now I can, I can speak publicly. You know what they say? They say that people fear public speaking more than death, which means that on average, people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy at the... No, I'm kidding. I mean, that's the joke that people say. Anyway, God forbid there shouldn't be any funerals. We should all be healthy and happy. Anyway, but what's the point? person says, I conquered my fear of whatever it is. Public speaking. Um, what's, the, what's the spider one called? Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia. Yeah, right. So... so it, and v'chahena rabbis, and, and many such others, right? So a person says, I conquered the fear. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I mean, assuming it's a good thing, right? Let's just assume it's a good thing. But what it means is, is that there was an opposition, there was an obstacle, there was an obstruction, there was a challenge, there was a challenger. You push through. 
contrast that with Hod. And by the way, for those that are joining online, I'm going to pull up, for those in person, I don't have time to print it out and get it, so you'll have to just take my word for it. <laughs> so this is um, an on-screen benefit. Look at that. Okay, so hold on. I'm going to open up. And, and for those that have studied Kabbalah and Coffee or Kabbalah with me for a little while, I mean, you've seen this countless times. You guys have both seen this countless times. Um, but hold on. I'm going to open this up. This is our famous, at this point, our very famous, where is it? Our Kabbalah and Coffee Sphero chart. Okay, here we go. Boom. Okay, so... Let's see which version I have up. Oh, look at that. Ah, it's the one with the typo. Doesn't matter. Typos, we love typos. Um, here we go. Okay, so again, for those joining online, I have now shared my screen with you, so now you can see what I am referring to. So take a look at the, at the lower three, the, lo uh, the lower four. So we did Netzach, ambition, right? Ambition is pushing on the right, right? That bottom right before it goes back to the center. Netzach is ambition. Ambition, it's really more than ambition. Ambition is like, I'd love to be a movie star. All right, it's a little bit more than ambition. It's like, the dr it's more than drive. It's the power to conquer. To, to push through, because in, inevitably, in between you and your goal will be some sort of opposition where you could easily, easily fold and say, you know what, I'm out. Netzach is pushing through. Hod, Hod on the other side. Hod here is translated as devotion. I know I'm, I literally just shared this with you, and I'm telling you, like, don't follow this translation, so why not give you one that I agree with? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Nonetheless, Hod is devotion, but more than devotion... Devotion kind of means, well, what does devotion evoke for you? Devotion evokes for me an idea of loyalty, commitment, um, connection. But Hode is a little bit, little bit slightly different. Hode is the opposite of Netzach. When you encounter an opposing element, it's listening to the opposition as opposed to blasting through. Netzach is, you push through. Again, it's not an unhealthy, doesn't have to be unhealthy. But Netzach could be unhealthy, doesn't have to be unhealthy. But Hod is the opposite energy, which means I encounter something contrary, contrary, and I slow down, and I listen, and I yield. Netzach is merging, well, driving over someone else, maybe, or through something else, and Hod is yielding. Each could be healthy, each could be unhealthy. Let me give you examples, right? Healthy netzach is, like I said before, one example is getting over your fears. That's healthy netzach. Healthy hod is listening to someone else, um, embracing someone else's viewpoint, right? Not having, it's like you're, you're, you're sitting together with a loved one and you're discussing, you know, what... Just give a silly example. What movie are we going to watch tonight, right? So you have an opinion, they have an opinion. Hod is, Netzach is, no. I'm going to, I'm going to have my opinion be what it is. And Hod is, I'll listen to your opinion. I'll, I'll, I'll yield to you. So again, healthy Netzach is, for example, conquering fears. Healthy Hod is, 
giving space to a loved one, for example. Unhealthy Netzach is demolishing somebody in your path on your way to power, fame, or otherwise, other great, other, uh, you know, ambitions that you might have. But it's hurting someone, God forbid, God forbid, but that's the unhealthy version, is hurting someone in the process to get from where you are to where you want to be, and it's trampling over others. That's unhealthy netzach. Unhealthy hod is that when something not good gets in your way, you stop and you let it get in your way. Are you with me on that? It's like when you have a goal, a, a worthy goal, but the inner voice or an outer voice says, eh, maybe not, you're like, okay, fine. <laughs> and you listen to it. That's unhealthy. So remember, Netzach and Hod aren't good or bad. I mean, certainly not one is good. One. They're neither good nor bad, either, either of them. They just are. And it's the person's choice, it's our choice how to use it. So people... Or not to use it at all. So some people may not use their netzach a lot. Some people, some people may use it for a negative purpose. Some people could use it for a good purpose. Hode. Some people might not use it. People don't listen to others or not yielding at all. That's one, that's one problem. Or hode could be used in a negative way to obstruct what needs to get done. Or hode can be used, of course, in a positive way. So we have, and of course I'm giving you three options for each. One non-use, one misuse, and one proper use. But I'm sure in between there are many, many different shades of implementation. Um, Sindrine, go ahead. Yeah, I read something nice this week in, the, in commenting the Talmud, it would be 94 about that, and it said, it teaches us how to disagree without being disagreeable. Oh, nice. It reminds us that we don't have to say everything we think out loud. Sometimes out of respect for another person, it may be more appropriate to remain silent, but it also suggests that even while respecting others, we can still turn our head away from opinion we don't accept. We can both show respect and also discreetly and politely, po politely remain true to our own belief. Nice. So Sandrine said, and where is that from? The Talmud? Huh? Yeah, that was a comment. On nice. So, let's, so I'll, I'll just share what Sandrine said. Very beautiful. That there's a way that human beings can disagree without being disagreeable. By the way, that's one of the things when you read Telushkin, Rabbi Telushkin's book, biography about the Rebbe. So, and and he, we had him here, um, not this past summer, but the summer before at the Cobb Energy Center. Was it Energy Center? Whatever. One of the, anyway, we had Rabbi Telushkin speak in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of the Rebbe's passing. So he said that's one of the hallmarks of the Rebbe, where the Rebbe certainly had opinions and disagreed with certain, you know, certain positions and people and whatever, but wasn't never disagreeable. And, and, and those that the Rebbe disagreed with, ultimately, many of them, if not all of them, at some point, they had a relationship and they were able to, to, to work together on things because that's the difference between being disagreeing and being disagreeable. The key is to maintain a polite disposition it doesn't mean that you need to accept and, and, and follow everything that everyone says. So you're able to say, I disagree, right? But you remain polite and you remain, uh, you remain amenable, you remain connected. Anyway, so that's, that's uh, uh, you know, I think a nice balance between Netzach and Hod in a, in a positive way, in a healthy way. Yesod, of course, the last one here at the bottom, Yesod is bonding. You saw this connection, it's communication, which is also a very practical 
um, energy. So I think my point, not I think, my point is, um, oh, David says submission. Submission is not a bad word for hod. Yes. Hod submission is a pretty, is a pretty good description. Yeah. And so when it comes to submission, there's good, a, a healthy version, and an unhealthy version. If you're submitting to the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, not good, right? I mean, we can all agree. If, the, if you have an inner voice that says, you know, not you. If one has an inner voice that says to do something not good, and a person's like, well, let me listen. <laughs> I'm going to submit to it. It's not a good thing. So it depends on what, where, when, and how. The point is, Kabbalah says we all have these powers. I'm going to make it big again, or you know, zoom out, so you can see all of them on the screen. Kabbalah says we all have these powers. How we use them, how we utilize them, is completely up to us. But here's what I want to point out. The top three, the blue ones, blue like cold, which is more um, um, objective, intellectual, so the top three are the intellectual powers, the bottom seven, the red ones, the hot ones are the emotional, but within the emotional powers, the lower four are really more functional or behavioral powers. Which brings me to this idea. And I know I didn't spend time much on Yesod or Malchut, but I just wanted to point out that the, lower, the, lower, the lowest energies in this chart are the ones that are really more about behavior. But here's what I want to say. When it comes to the human, and I'm going to stop sharing because it's, you know, you, you saw the chart and, uh, and I want to speak about the concepts now. When it comes to the human being, we can talk about the human being on different levels. We can talk about a human being as a behavioral creature. You know, we do certain things. We do this and we do that. And we have all these certain behaviors that we can adopt and, uh, and, and perform. We can speak of the human being as an emotional creature. Human beings feel this, and we feel that, and we love this, or we hate that, or we dislike that. Hate's a strong word. Okay. And then we could speak of the human being as an intellectual creature, right? Thinking and philosophizing and understanding and all of the above are true. We are actors. I don't mean like faking. I mean, we, we act, right? We do, we're doers. That's a better word. We are doers and from, from, from the lowest and the most functional up. We are doers, we are feelers, we are thinkers. But higher than that, I'm gonna share my screen again. Can't, can't get enough of this chart. As much as I try, can't get enough of it. So I've just taken you through these, these, three, um, these three elements, right? We have functional, we have emotional, and we have intellectual. But above that in Kabbalah is called Keter. And what is keter? Unmute yourself and let me know what keter, what does the word keter mean? Crown. Crown. And what is the crown? The crown is what lies above the head. And what is the head in this context? Chachma, bina, and dat. In other words, the intellectual powers would be likened to the head. But just like the human head could have a crown that rises or sits above the head, so too on an energy level, human energy level, you also have, good Alex, great question. I'm going to see if we can address that soon. So just like, just like the human head could have a crown, so too, in other words, even though the head is lofty, the loftiest part of the body, there's still something that can go on top of it. Are you with me on the point? Like, no, notwithstanding how 
you know, profound and brilliant the head is, a crown goes even on top of that. And a crown gives a person glory and majesty and, yeah. So too, within our inner powers, there are inner powers that we call keter, the crown. So whether you want to look at it in a vertical hierarchy, i.e. that the crown lies above the intellect, i.e. head, or, or if you want to look at it on a kind of an, uh, on a depth level, that these are, the crown represents deeper powers of the soul, either way is correct, depending on just how you want to imagine it. You could imagine it as higher or deeper. It doesn't matter. It's just... It's both. It's higher and deeper. Let's explain. Let me explain. So we have behavior. We have emotion. We have intelligence. What's beyond that? What's higher than intelligence? So Kabbalah says Keter. What is Keter? Keter is comprised of two elements, an inner element and an outer element. Let's start with the, inner, with, let's start with the outer element first. External, this is called Chitzoniyut, Chitzoniyut HaKeter. This is the external dimension of Keter. Keter means, again, the crown, which is above intelligence. So what's the external dimension of Keter? It's called Ratzon. What is Ratzon? Ratzon means willpower. Will, or not willpower, but will. Desire. What you want. Yeah, what you want. So there's two forms of desire. There's desire that is logic-based, and then there's desire that is beyond logic, and utilizes logic, utilizes intelligence as a rationalization. I'll give you an example. And again, I've used this example before, but I think hopefully it works. So let's say you're, you're in the market for a new automobile. You need a car. It's been a while. Whatever it is. Whatever the scenario is, you need a new car. And you're starting from scratch because you don't, I don't know, it's been a while. So like you been driving a car and whatever now so you're looking for a car so wh what do you do there are many resources but let's just say um consumer reports still exist yes consumer reports yeah yes okay good good i, I i'm not suggesting by the way this is not sponsored by consumer reports although if they're listening and they want to i'm not going to turn it down um anyway Let's just say, or I, I, there's car and driver, what, I, just different, like, I'm sure, forums and whatnot. But let's just stick with one. So you're looking for a car, and you say, you know what, I trust Consumer Reports, so I'm going to look up their latest car issue or automobile issue. What are the best cars at the various price points or feature sets or whatever it is? So I'm looking for a four-door car that's good mileage and a decent price and safe and reliable, etc., Right? That's what I'm looking for. So you look, and you start doing research, and you see, you look at consumer reports, and then you're like, you know, they have a recommendation. You say, you know what, let me Google it. Let me look online, watch some YouTube videos. You go down that rabbit hole, whatever. You're like, so you're, you're checking out. Everyone goes down rabbit holes on YouTube. That's, that's what it's for, right? Mm -hmm. Literally, that's what it's for. Um, so, I mean, they design it. Uh, let's just, let me explain what I'm saying. Let me explain what I'm saying. They design it to suck you in and to keep you in. I'm just saying, all right, let, let me get out of there now. So, um, so now you're doing research on the car. And you, you, know, you narrow it down to, let's say, you know, two or three different ones, and then you check them out in person, and you, know, you, 
what is it? You kick the tires or something? I don't know anyone who actually kicks the who kicks the tires, but that's an expression that's used. You kick the tires a little bit, you know. They're like, what are you kicking the tires for? I don't know. They said to kick the tires, so I'm kicking the tires. And now you've narrowed it down and you have your choice. This makes sense. And now you want to buy this car. So Kabbalah says that this is a desire, a rut zone, a desire for this car that is not pure desire. It's a desire that's born of intelligence. It's born of rationale. You studied, you researched, you explored, you kicked the tires, whatever it is. You kicked the bumper. Do not kick the bumper. You test drove it. You, oh, even better. There you go. I forgot about that part. You test drove it, right? Who would have thought? You test drove it. Maybe nowadays with self-driving cars, you know, maybe it test drove you. It's trying to test you out. Do I like you? I don't know. You're a bad passenger, whatever. So either way, it's, I read recently. Yeah, they're like, you out. No, nah, not for you. I read recently that one of the self-driving companies, I forget which one, maybe Uber, is now doing um, actual, I think in Arizona, did anybody read this? They're doing actual, ta- you order the car, like a ta- I, think like an Uber. I think it was Uber. You order the Uber, right? I'm literally pressing my hand, I don't know why. You order the Uber. <laughs> It's like, how come it's not working? Oh, it's my hand. Right? You order the Uber, and it comes without a driver. I think they're testing it out in like a small little place, but it's, it's like legit. Somebody fact check me. You guys are online. Huh? I hope. <laughs> Sandrine says she hopes it's free. I don't think it's free because you're like the, remember those, um, those, those, uh, those crash dummies? Remember those commercials with the, the yellow guys or whatever it is with the. Do you think the robot's going to. Rate us, you know, like you said, the Uber rates the passengers, the drivers. I know. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I had, don't, don't even get me started on this. We were in, listen, oh my gosh, whatever. There was a situation recently where we got Ubered. Basically, the Uber driver, for whatever reason, was not happy. It's, I'm not going to get into details. Nothing, nothing on our part, just, and reported that we weren't wearing a mask, in the, which was not even true. And then now it's like Uber's like, well, now you have to start sending pictures every time before you drive. So I'm like, you know what? Let me use Lyft now for a little bit. I just, but yeah, you get raided by the driver. If the driver's in a, you know, in a lousy mood or something, uh, whatever. This is, not, this is not a rant against Uber, whatever. The point is about the cars. Ah, let's get back to the cars. So you kick the tires, and now you decide it. So Kabbalah says this is not called pure rut zone. This is not pure, this is not what you wanted all along. This is what you want because it makes sense. And what's the, what's the, what's the litmus test? You're ready. If suddenly Consumer Reports, who you trust in this scenario, if they come out with a bulletin the night before you're about to purchase the car the next day, the night before, if they come out with a bulletin, wait a second, we just found out that what we thought was the safety record of this car turns out to be it's not exactly as we thought, you're not going to buy that car the next morning because it's not like you need the car. It's you want the car based on the criteria. You changed your criteria. You no longer want it. Are you with me? But there's another scenario where you can fall in love with something irrationally. That's what we call rutzon. That's what Keter is. That's what the crown is. 
above logic. So th there are two dimensions of Keter, internal, external. The external dimension of Keter is Ratzon, desire, will, want. I want something in a way that transcends logic and rationale. Not the one that's born of logic and rationale, that's still the head. The crown, desire, is desire that you want even when it makes no sense. So somebody says, I'm not even going to give an example of it, but because, it, it, you know, <laughs> you have, everyone has their own examples of things that, that they want irrationally. If somebody tells you, like, why do you want that? It doesn't make sense. And you tell them, I understand it doesn't make sense. I still want it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Ratzon is. That's what the Ratzon of Keter is. That's what the crown. It's higher than logic, higher than rationale, to the point that when, even when all logic says, does it make sense, you still want it. Why? Because it never came from logic. It came from somewhere beyond logic. Furthermore, this level of Ratzon bends logic to its will. Literally to its will. This is the, this is the type of Ratzon that leads us to justify our Ratzon, our desire, to the point even when it doesn't make sense. Like, you'll explain it, why it makes sense, and somebody will tell you, that makes no sense. And you'll be like, no, 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 let me explain it to you, because the Ratzon, not the Ratzon, the Ratzon crown, since it's beyond logic, it's higher, it's stronger than the mind, it actually bends the mind. I don't know why I'm thinking of like the strong man with the metal bar thing, right? It bends the mind. The mind is very strong, but Ratzon bends. My grandfather tells me about, and I just visited him a few days ago. Thank God I had the opportunity to visit him. Um, haven't seen him since, uh, since COVID. I remember he used to talk about, he was, uh, he's 98, Kanina Hara, so he was born in 1922. So he's seen a lot. But he remembers back in the day, they used to have like the strong men doing these shows. You know what I mean? Like, like just street shows or whatever, ripping um, phone, books. phone books. And he remembers this, ripping phone books. I don't know. What's, first of all, today you tell someone this, they're like, what's a phone book? That's first of all. First of all, yeah, the first question is, what's a phone book? Once we move past that, so I just imagine that, like, the, the rut zone is so strong, so powerful, it can take the mind and bend it at will. That's why not only do we do things that are not so smart, but we tell ourselves that it makes sense. That's the point. Where is it coming from? Rut zone, a place that's beyond logic. It comes from a, from a not illogical, but let's say super logical place. By the way, like I said before about Netzach and Hod, just because it's lofty, just because it's deep, just because it's powerful, doesn't mean that it's always good. You could have a good Ratzon. Ratzon is, again, desire, will, strong. You could have a bad Ratzon. It's not good or bad. It just is a powerful part of the person. You with me so far? So again, from, from bottom up, we have behavior, emotions, intelligence, Ratzon. That's the kete, ratzon is the crown. Ratzon is desire or will, what you want. Not what you want because it makes sense, what you want even when it doesn't make sense. You with me on the distinction? That's why it's the higher, the higher than logic. Again, if you want it because it makes sense, that's not want, that's, that's logic. You're still operating based on the mind, that's not the crown. But what's deeper 
So again, we have four dimensions now. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Behavior from, from bottom up. Behavior, emotions, intelligence. I always have trouble with this one. Ah, um, <laughs> desire, right? Rut's own will. Anyone else have a problem with that? Whatever, maybe just me. And then higher than that is the deeper. You're good with that? All right, maybe just me. So higher than that is the inner part of Keter. Right? Remember I told you Keter is two parts? If you want to um, just picture it, again, don't, it's not literally like this, but picture like a sphere, right? Picture like a ball. And then you have like the surface of it. And then you have the core of it. So the surface of it is Ratzon, will. And the inner part of will is what Kabbalah calls Tainug. Tainug means pleasure. Pleasure is at the core of will, and it's the highest or deepest dimension of the human experience. Even if we're not aware of it. Because, remember, the higher it is, the harder it is to figure out. Like behavior, it's easy to figure out. I don't mean figure out the motive. I mean to see what happened, right? Behavior, you just see what a person did. If there are emotions, harder to, I mean, you can kind of detect the emotions from the actions, maybe, but maybe it's not 100. What about the, the mindset behind it? Harder. The desire behind it, even loftier. The pleasure is the deepest. So again, it's behavior, emotions, intelligence, desire, and pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure is at the core of desire. Pleasure is what drives desire. Pleasure is what fuels desire, even if we're not aware of the pleasure. Why do we want it in the first place? Right? Beyond logic. Why do we want it? Because somewhere deep, deep, deep down, a part of us believes beyond logic or connects this with pleasure. So because we feel, again, beyond emotion, beyond intelligence, beyond wanting, because there's some sort of connection between this and pleasure, that's why we want it, we'll justify it, and it, 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 uh, it evolves from there. So again, the deepest element the deepest part of Keter is called Tainug. It's called pleasure. The outer part is called Ratzon. Ru um, pleasure, which means desire. Pleasure fuels desire. We desire what we believe will be pleasurable. And everyone has a different belief of what that is. Based on their soul, based on their experiences, based on all sorts of very, very deep factors that affect them personally and individually. And again, it could be for good, and it could be for, for, for otherwise. It's not good or bad. It just is. It's the truth of the human condition. Let's talk about these two dimensions, pleasure and desire, or pleasure and will. Again, it's the pleasure that fuels the desire. So what we notice typically is the desire, but if we strip away the desire, we'll realize that why do we desire it? Because we believe that it's... Gonna, it's going to be pleasurable or because we believe it's going to be good for us. When it comes to, so let's talk, right, are, is everyone with me? Thumbs up if what I'm saying makes sense? Yes? Any, so let me, let me pause for a moment and let's take questions. Um, any questions or comments on the above so far? Questions, comments? Donna? Question. Yeah, go ahead. So you were talking about 
subconsciously don't really know what's driving this and uh, for behaviors but is that the same for like beliefs like cult you know is that why cult leaders are able to you know you know get a hold of people's minds kind of? that's a good question so I, i'm not an expert in in cults and how they operate um but <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> sounds, yeah. However, no. Um, my understanding is that I don't know. I think they 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 prey on people's you know desire to belong to something or whatever. Listen, I I could I, I I don't know enough to, to comment on that. But ultimately, if you if you're if you want to look at anything through a Kabbalistic lens, you're always going to get to a place where ultimately it comes down to the deeper sub, uh, subconscious forces, right, or superconscious forces, right, the stuff that's beyond logic. Because all of that is what's, like, imagine that you're um, in a boat and you see the, um, man, what's it called? The iceberg? Iceberg? Yes? No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry for being so vague. No, it's like the, the iceberg, right? The iceberg? Greenberg? Okay. Yeah. Greenberg, iceberg, whatever. Terrible joke. All right. As a punchline, if you know it, fine. If not, I'm not going to say it. So, look, it's, um, it's, it's like the tip of the iceberg, but you know that underneath there's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole world. So when a person does something, even, I'm going to say even, even modern psychology has caught up to this, these Kabbalistic ideas. When somebody does something, that is totally not where it's coming from. It's not like they just decided to act out. It's so much deeper. It's not just emotionally, it's not just you know, their head is, there are deeper forces at play. That's what's going on here. Kabbalah is, is mapping out, see here's the difference between Kabbalah and psychology. Psychology maps out the human you know, dynamic from the outside in. Psychology works from the outside in. So we look at a person. What did you do? Why would you do it? Let's talk about it. And we go deeper, deeper, deeper. Kabbalah, and although that's how I presented it today, that's not how Kabbalah operates. Kabbalah starts from the inside out. Because Kabbalah is telling, telling us how human beings are wired by God and how the cosmic energies flow. So Kabbalah tells us how the structure is set up. Now, how we use that information is up to us because, you know, that's, that's, that's the information that we have. But Kabbalah explains from the inside out. Psychology works from the outside in, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossover. Um, although, you know, the difference between the id and the yid, but that's, that's for another conversation, um, for another time. But here's the point. What drives a person to join something that's, you know, uh, you know a, a non-healthy group, et cetera, group dynamic? We know this, it d- doesn't start from here. It starts from much, much, much deeper. There's deeper forces. So that's the way it is. So, um, and that's, and that's, that's true everywhere. There's behavior. There's the emotions that look like they're driving it. There's the ideas that th- seem like they're driving it. But deeper than that, there's will and there's pleasure. There's desire and pleasure that are really at the core of all of this. By the way, these are the five dimensions of the human experience. Typically, we speak of four. In Kabbalah, there's always four. But that's why I said there's four that are really five. Because remember I told you Keter has an inner and outer dimension? So if you, if you kind of put the two together, because it's all part of the same crown, right? So there's four levels, behavior, emotion, intelligence, and Keter. 
But Keter specifically, you can divide into two, so that's four or five dimensions. By the way, I should mention that when it comes to the plagues, if you recall from the Passover Seder, right? Remember the Pass- remember Passover? Right? We didn't have it really this year. I mean, we had it, but it was a little, little wonky this year. Um, don't worry, we still got out. We still got out of Egypt. It still worked out at the end. Um, but Passover, at the Seder, there's a discussion. This is like deep into Magid. You know the part where everyone falls asleep? I'm kidding. They're so deep into that. <laughs> deep, I'm kidding, not us. Present company excluded. But deep into Magid, there's the discussion amongst the rabbis. Two rabbis have a dispute as to how many plagues really hit Egypt. We know 10 plagues, right? But, but the rab, one rabbi says every plague had four parts of the plague. And the other rabbi says, no, every plague had five parts of the plague. And you're thinking... Where's the brisket? I mean, like, like, this is nice to talk about, but let's, what are we, what are we doing here? Let's, let's go eat. Like, four plagues, five plagues, within a plague, I, I don't even know what's, I have to help cup here now with numbers. And it's like, like this is what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Were there 40 plagues or 50 plagues? And what does that even mean? So Kabbalah explains. You know, how do you divide the universe? Four layers or five layers? Everything is ultimately comprised of four or five Four obvious dimensions and a fifth that's a little bit more mystical and more secretive. Like I said, there's behavior, emotions, intelligence, and desire. If you want to go even deeper, the core of desire is pleasure. So it's four or five, depending on how deep you want to go. That's how the Rebbe explains whether it's four or five. So did the plagues, right, when they were undoing the evil of Egypt, did they hit the four levels or did did they even go to the fifth to transform it? And again, the ramifications of that will have to leave for another time an exposition or yeah, exploring the, that, 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 that detail of, 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 of the Passover experience and the Seder and the Haggadah, etc. But for our purposes, there are four or five dimensions of the human inner workings that we're exploring this morning. But when it comes to both Ratzon and Tainog, both desire and pleasure, each one has two parts. Let me explain what I'm doing. I told you Keter has two parts, and now I'm saying within each of those parts, there are two parts. You with me? We're subdividing. We divided it, and now we're going to divide each of them. We're dissecting these ideas. With me? Yes? Make sense? Yes? Okay, good. All right, let's talk about the lower or more external layer of Keter, the crown, which is desire, will, want. I want something. Two forms of wanting. It's called inner and outer also. Kabbalah loves that term. So again, within the outer dimension of Keter, there's also inner and outer. It's the way it works. There's always, could always keep on dividing it and cutting it. It's like a good chef. It's like you call that cutting the, the thing. That's, that's really finely slicing it. So what is the external dimension of Desire, and what's the internal dimension of desire? Chitzoni is haratzon and penimi is haratzon. What does that mean? There are certain things that we want not because we want it, it, but because we want something else. Are you with me on that? Certain things that you want, you and I want, not for that thing itself, but for some other thing. But we don't eat sometimes... I would say most times, we don't even realize that we don't even want it, it itself, 
that it's only for something else. We think we want it when we don't even want it. Somebody says, I want, I'm going to give the easiest example, which is not always true, but it's the easiest example to give. So it's like somebody says, I want to do well in school. Why? Because then I want to, I want to go to a really good university. Why? Because I want to get a really good job. Why? Because I want to make a lot of money. Why? Because I want to be able to live, to buy the things that I want. Why? Because I want to then live, because I want to live comfortably. Why? Right? You can keep on asking. And I don't know, at some point, I guess you hit something, right? What you really want. But then, uh, you, it well, reminds me of the story with the guy. I've told this before, with the fisherman. You, with the guy who's, uh, you know the one with the fisher, the guy who's fishing? All right, I said it recently. All right, for those that don't remember. And, cause, and for, it's really for me to say it, because I like saying it. So this guy, this fellow is vacationing. He has a lot of money. He's vacationing on an island, and he sees a guy. He's fishing. He sees another guy who's fishing, like a local. He says, hey, how's it going? He introduces himself. He gets the name of the other guy. He says, um, hey, I'm just going to call him Bob. Hey, Bob, so you live here? Yeah. You, you fish? Yeah. What, so what else do you do? I just fish all day. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you don't have any bigger ambitions more than fishing? Nope. I fish and I eat. He says, I don't get you. You seem like you're good at, at fishing. You should fish and you should sell your fish. Like, and then what? And then you can make money. And then, then you can hire more people to fish for you. Okay, and then, and then you can buy more boats. And then you can have a whole operation of fish and everything. And then you can make a lot of money. And then you can be successful. And then you can retire. And then you can retire on an island and go fishing. So like, it all comes back. So, right, the question, and, that, and that's an example of, you know, you know, coming full circle, but here's, here's my point. Oftentimes, we do things because we think we want to do these things, when in reality, we don't really want that thing, we want something else. But we know that in order to get what we want, what we really want, we have to do this other thing. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah? So it turns out that the things, oftentimes, the things that we uh, proclaim to want aren't things that we actually want, they're only things that we need to get to what we really want. That's what we call chitzonius haratzon, which means the external dimension of, of will uh, or of desire. It's what we want, not truthfully, but conveniently. I don't know if that's the right word. It's, we don't really want it. We want, we need to do it to get to something else. And then there's what we really want. That's panimis haratzon. Panimis haratzon means you want it not for any other reason. You want it because you want it. Because this is what you want and, and, and there's no other layer to it. This is directly what you want. That's a much deeper element. Give an example. Give an example. Good and evil. The creation, we believe, right? Strict monotheism 
is that there's one source for everything, including good and evil. So it's not like good is coming from God and evil is coming from another source. No, 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 no. Good and evil are both coming from the same place. You with me? Which means even the evil inclination, Yetzir Hara, even Satan, right? Even the angel of death, all of these negative forces are all coming from God. Now, this is the way the Zohar, this is the way the Zohar Kabbalah explains the, 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 the dynamic of, this is, it's a powerful analogy, the way the, the, the dynamic of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. It says, it gives, Zohar is the primary work of Kabbalah, it gives the, the, the example of a, of, a, of a king and the prince. So the king has an only son, and the king and the prince, the son, is going to ultimately one day take over the kingdom. And the king wants to test the virtue, the integrity of the prince. Now, why does he want to test the integrity of the prince? He wants to know. Is the prince worthy? Is he, does he have a strong character? Or is he easily um, persuaded by shiny things? So what does he do? He hires someone. He hires... He hires a woman to seduce and entice the prince. A professional. And he says to her, I want you to go ahead and seduce and entice the prince. And, and this is going to be a test of his character. Now, she doesn't want to do this because she respects the king. She respects the prince. And she doesn't want to, this is not what she wants to do. She's not, she's not looking to, to mess up anything or to whatever. But the king has a job for her. The king says, this is what you need to do. And you have to, and I don't do this halfway. I want you to, to really tempt the prince, to really, really um, present a, a challenge. And so she does. The Zohar says, and so let's just continue with the analogy. So the, the prince obviously has a choice, right? So this woman comes over to him and seduces him, etc. So he has a choice whether to give in or to say no. And if he says no, he's withstood the challenge. If he says yes, then he's not withstood the challenge. But if he says yes, how does she feel? She feels terrible. On the one hand, she was successful. On the other hand, great. Now what? You with me on that? So Kabbalah says this is how the evil inclination feels about us, right? When we listen to it. It's like, you listen to me. I had to, I had to sell it, but why'd you buy it? Are you with me on this? That's how Kabbalah explains the nature of the evil inclination. That God hires the evil inclination to test us, to tempt us, to convince us. But it doesn't want us to listen. God doesn't want us to listen to it. It itself doesn't want us to listen to it. And we're the only ones. We're the ones that are like, yeah, sure, let's go ahead with it. No one else wants us to. We're the only ones. Are you with me on this? The force of evil, I don't mean evil choices and humans that choose evil. I mean the energy, the possibility for evil in the world is put, in, put here by God 
for the express purpose of us rejecting it and not listening to it. And it itself doesn't want us to. When we don't listen to the temptation, when we push it away, that fulfills its purpose. Are you with me? Its purpose is to provide the obstacle that we don't follow. The king did not set up the prince to fail. That wasn't the objective. The objective was that the prince should overcome and should succeed. If the prince should fail, that's literally a failure. Yes? Does that make sense? Okay. That's the way the Zohar, Kabbalah, explains it. It's the famous parable of the, of the Zohar, of, of the, this famous Kabbalistic example of the king and the prince and the, and the, and the woman. So, what's the point? What's the point? The point is that when you think about good and evil in the world, all created by God, right? And think about what does God really want? Remember I told you that we have things that we want because we want them and things that we only want because we want something else? Remember I said that a moment ago? There's external want, external uh, desire and internal desire. External means I don't actually want it for it. I want it for something else. Well, God's desire for evil is that external will. Are you with me on that? God doesn't want evil for the sake of evil. God wants there to be the possibility for evil for us to reject it and to do good. Yes? Does that make sense? In other words, God's desire for good is direct. Well, is more than direct. Is for that. Whereas God's desire for evil is only for something else. Does that make sense? Is it clear what I'm saying? Yes? Okay, I'm getting some nods. Um, good. So again, the desire for evil is only so that a person doesn't choose it, so that we reject it, so that something else happens better. The desire for good is direct. So that's an example of internal, sorry, external desire and internal desire, that which we want for something else versus that which we want inherently and intrinsically. There's also a duality when it comes to pleasure. Again, we, we, just to take a step back, five dimensions, action, sorry, behavior, emotion, intelligence, desire, pleasure. Within desire and pleasure now, we're breaking each one down into two halves. So desire has a lower and higher dimension. The lower dimension of desire is desiring something for something else, for another purpose. So God's desire for evil, for example, is not that evil should be a thing, but that we should reject it, which means that God wants it for another purpose, whereas God's desire for good is direct. So that's an example of a duality within desire. Let's talk about pleasure, because pleasure also has two components. This is a little bit more subtle because pleasure is, of course, at the top of this totem pole, so to speak. Pleasure, there is called, in Kabbalah, it's called Tainug HaMurkov, which means pleasure that is a composite. And then there's Tainug Atzmi, which means essential pleasure, pure pleasure, which is the subject of today's class. You see, eventually we're getting there. Um, so what is the difference between the two? Tainug HaMurkov means something that is that causes pleasure, but it's not a direct or pure pleasure. It's a pleasure that has a bit of a, a bit of a, it's very hard to explain. 
It's almost like you can sense it, but in language, remember, these, we're talking about things that are beyond intelligence. These are things that we can sense. Even, it's not emotion that we feel, it's something beyond that. So to articulate into words, it's going to be a challenge. I'm telling you straight up, but I'm going to do my best. Tainagat Morkov is pleasure that is also an indirect pleasure. It's pleasure, but it's not necessarily pleasure for that thing itself. It's pleasure that's associated with something else. So it's like a pleasure that has a sidekick, right? It's pleasure, but it's not really here. It's really pleasure because of something else. Then there's Tainag Atzmi, which means pure pleasure and, and, and direct pleasure, essential pleasure. Kind of like, kind of like um, we explained a moment ago about desire, that there are different forms of desire. There's direct desire and indirect desire. There's what you really want and what you want because of something else. Also within pleasure, there are two dimensions. There's pure pleasure, which is the pleasure of that thing itself. And then there's kind of indirect pleasure, pleasure of something else, or you, you enjoy this, but because of something else. Tanakh Murkov. It's a, a composite type pleasure, but it's not pure. That's the way it's explained in Kabbalah. Now, within pleasure itself, there are many different dimensions. Many things can cause pleasure. And in a text that we studied years ago, a Kabbalah and coffee text, called Overcoming Folly, which I may want to bring back because it's been a really long time, probably a dozen years. Um, it talks about it, it ranks pleasures, right? It says, okay, so there's a, the pleasure of eating and drinking. That's like one type of pleasure. Above that is the pleasure of music. Above that is the pleasure of, um, of intellectual pursuits, right? Ideas. And it goes, you know, higher and higher and higher forms of pleasure. Now, who defines what's higher and lower? So, like I wrote in the email Friday, so the, one way to look at it is how long does the pleasure last, right? Is it how momentary versus long-lasting is the pleasure? So the pleasure of food lasts relatively short. The pleasure of music could last a little bit longer. The pleasure of ideas could last even longer. So you have different forms of pleasure, and, and the way we might rank them, right? I mean, that's an arbitrary way to, you know, it's, theoretically it's arbitrary, but one, one metric by which to rank pleasures is by how lasting they are. You know, how long does that pleasure last? So you could say the lower pleasure is the one that, la that lasts the least amount of time. If it's longer lasting, that means it's, it's a higher form of pleasure because it's lasting longer. That's one way to look at it. But there's another way to look at pleasure, and that is how true or how deep is the pleasure. It's not just how long-lasting is it, but how deep, right? How, how authentic is the pleasure? Is it about things that are ultimately not pleasurable, or is it about something that's truly pleasurable? And this takes us to today's discussion about Tainug Atzmi, about pure pleasure and pleasure of things or a thing that is essential and truly meaningful and truly um, causing pleasure. Because if you think about it, what is the pleasure of food, for example? It's not just that it's a temporal pleasure. It's, it's a very, it doesn't last that long. You know, because you eat a good meal a few hours later, you're hungry again. So it's like you're not even remembering it because you're now hungry again. You're, you kind of reset. Um, but it's not only that. 
It's, it's how deep is the pleasure versus external. How meaningful is it versus not meaningful? Right? The pleasure of food is what? What's the pleasure of food? It fills the body. It fills the machine. It's not, it can't touch a pleasure that affects the soul, a spiritual pleasure. Right? So as you go higher and higher, it's not just a, quant, uh, a quantity measure. How long is the pleasure? But it's also a quality measure of how deep is the pleasure. So with this, we go back to our text. Because our text is exploring how is it that opposites can come together. How do we bring together opposites as one? Whether this is within the internal powers of the soul. How do we bring together, let's say, Chachma and Bina, internal powers of the soul. And also, how do we bring together people that may see things differently, that may not see things eye to eye. And so the big premise of the last um, few chapters of our text um, which we've called the series Learning How to Love. The original, it's called, as you know by now, Heichaltzu, Ranat. So it's called Heichaltzu, Ranat is the year, Tafresh and Tess. So the big idea of the last few chapters has been that when opposite forces are exposed to a light, a force that transcends them both, they will come together. It's kind of like Kind of like a UFO. Yeah? You're on, you're on the country road. You, your car, and another car. And a UFO is right there. And they have this beam that then beams you up onto the ship equally. You could be opposites in the different cars. But that, I'm, jo I'm joking about this UFO example. The point is, <laughs> you guys are taking this seriously. Anyway, the point is, that, although, listen, if you've seen a UFO, I'm not also wading into that either. Either way. But the point is that what brings together opposites? Oftentimes, it's a force. It's a force that is higher than and greater than both. Because left to their own devices, they're going to fight. It's like, I'm this, you're that. But exposed to something greater, they can come together. It's like a magnetic force, right? That was my joke with the UFO. It's a magnetic force that pulls together opposites. Okay, now, what we're going to do is we're going to jump inside the text. And as we jump inside, we're going to finish chapter 30 and begin chapter 31. Chapter 30 was focused on the big unifier of truth. Because truth is a unifier. What do I mean by truth is a unifier? MS or emet by definition means that which, is, that which transcends distinction or particulars. Because the particular detail could be this way or that way. The truth is what brings everything together and what runs through everything. Truth, we said before, emet has the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the middle letter, and the last letter. By the way, if you count the letters, mem of emet is not in the middle. If you just go aleph, bet, gimel, dalet. But when you put in the other letters the final letters, etc., it then is in the middle. So in case you want to fact check me on that, make sure that you're also adding the other, the other forms and permutations of the letters, and you'll see it's in the middle. Here's the point. Emet is the first letter, the middle letter, the last letter, and it runs through everything equally. In other words, the ultimate unifier. Anything that's on one pole, one side, is not emet. It's not true. True is, truth is, the middle. That's why it says, Titain emet liyakov. That emet was given, truth was given to Jacob. Why Jacob? We know Kabbalistically, Avram, Abraham is chesed, one side. 
Abraham is kindness. Isaac, Yitzchak is Gevura, the other side. And where is Yaakov, where is Jacob? Teferet, right in the middle. Teferet, the middle path, the middle, the middle uh, channel is the one that we associate with truth because truth is not polarized on one side or the other. Truth can bring the, the, the diverse elements together because that's, what, that's the nature of truth. If, it's, if, if truth is polarizing, spoiler alert, it's probably not truth. It's probably somebody saying that it's truth, but it's probably not truth if it's polarizing and dividing. That's why it says that Torah... Oh, sorry, let me make one more connection. And we said, where, does, where is the, the beam, right? The, the ray of light of truth in this world? It's the Torah, because the Torah is the only thing that exists in this physical world that has not been affected by the hishtal shalot, by the evolution, by the, um, by the journey from above to below. Everything else has been somehow affected by the journey and is, uh, has the battle scars, so to speak, from the journey through the worlds and through tzimtzum and through contractions and concealments. And the way it looks down here is not the way it looked up there. But Torah is different. Torah, even in its physical form, remains pure and remains holy and remains true. And that's why when we study Torah, we're accessing truth. When we access truth, we can have a perspective. It changes the psyche of the human being. It changes the emotional disposition. When we study Torah and start thinking along Torah lines, we can then bring together, we're, we're more holistic. We're healed inside and we can heal also our relationships outside. That's the nature and the beauty of Torah which is why our sages tell us that Torah was only given to create peace in the world. And this is what I wanted to say before, but I needed to give you a few, few more pieces. If somebody takes Torah and uses it as a tool to divide people, then you know that they're not using Torah properly. In other words, Torah is not meant to use as a sledgehammer to whack people over the head with. Torah is, meant, Torah is designed and Torah exists as a tool, as a... As a as a, as a mechanism for peace. The Talmud says clearly, Torah was only given to create peace in the world. Why? Because it's truth. And truth brings together. Truth does not divide. Truth brings, true truth brings together. With this, we're going to jump inside. We're going to talk about truth. We're going to talk about pleasure. And we are going to talk about Torah. I'm going to share my screen with you. This is chapter, the end, the last paragraph. We were up to the last paragraph of chapter... 20. Let's see if I can find it here. Okay, I have it pulled up on my screen. I'm going to share my screen um, with those that are in our online classroom. Here we go. Page 68. So it's page 68 um, on the screen, and shockingly enough, it's also page 68 in the printouts. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Although in the book, it's probably not 68. It's also 68. Chapter what, 31? Well, no, it's the last, it's the top paragraph in 68. Look at that, it's even true in the book. Unbelievable. 68s are wild. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read. Accordingly, look at this, look at this. This is powerful. Accordingly, not too big. All right. Accordingly, the world endures only because of truth. In other words, I, I want to explain what that means. Because of the nature of plurality and diversity in the world, without the truth to bring together, the world would explode apart, would split apart, would fracture and, 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 and pull apart. 
The world only lasts because of MS, because of emet, because of truth. As the mission is, and again, most of us associate truth with harsh truth, divisive truth, and that's not the meaning of truth in Kabbalah. Truth in Kabbalah is that which brings together, not which, that, that which divides. That's what I'm trying to share with you right now. Accordingly, the world endures only because of truth. As the Mishnah states, not even Kabbalah, it says in Pirkei Avot, the world, ethics of our fathers, the world endures by virtue of three things, justice, truth, and peace. So what is truth? Justice meaning law and order. Peace is peace. But what brings about peace? Truth. This refers, back inside, this refers to the emet of Torah, to the truth of Torah. I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to try to highlight that. Only through Torah does the world endure, since it creates peace and unity among a multiplicity of opposites. So what creates peace and unity and harmony amongst the diverse opposites? It's truth and it's Torah. Again, on a very, very practical level, when a person studies Torah authentically, not with an agenda, again, a person could study Torah with the agenda of being smarter than someone else, or knowing more than someone else, or then being able to tell people what they're doing wrong. That's not learning Torah lishma. That's not learning Torah for the sake of Torah. That's learning Torah for the sake of ego. But a person studies Torah authentically and, and is, submits to Torah, in other words, is humble when studying Torah, that creates a light of truth within them, and they're able to create peace amongst themse within themselves and amongst others. There's a verse that says, this is from Tillam, from Psalms. Ashrei Yoshrei Veisecha. Right? At the end, it's, it's uh, the Ashrei prayer. It's from Psalms. It's um, Psalm 145. Let's see if that's what it has in the footnote. 145. Yep. Karov Hashem lechal karov lechal asher yikru ba'met. It says the Lord is close. Back inside. The Lord is close to all those, to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Again, let's break down this verse. The Lord is close to all who call upon Him. And then it, it clarifies to all who call upon Him in truth. What does that mean? That God is close to all those who call upon Him in truth specifically? This refers to the truth of Torah. To call upon Him in truth is to call upon and to draw down, in other words, to elicit, to bring into this world the very essence and being of the Ein Sof light. And how is that done? What does it mean to call upon Him? It means to draw, to bring down the energy of the infinite light into this world, into this finite world, the infinite light into a finite world. And how is that done? Through the truth. Call upon Him in truth. Through the truth of Torah, which is the Chachma of Torah, which is the wisdom of Torah. And this is achieved when one studies Torah with pure motivation, as I said a moment ago, not with ego motivation, but pure motivation for the sake of Torah itself and the sake of God. Only, and I, I add it for the sake of God, but it means like for the right reasons. Only uh, one then makes peace among the hosts of above and also the hosts of below. Again, I'm adding that piece to it as well. So, in summation, and we're going to jump into the next chapter as well, chapter 31. We're just finishing off chapter 30. In summation, there's diversity. And diversity, the danger, diversity is beautiful, but the danger of diversity is that there can be fighting, there can be conflict. I'm different than you, and therefore, I don't like you because I'm me and you're you, and I like me, and I don't know if I like you. 
That's the danger of diversity. Diversity is beautiful. The danger is it can cause conflict. Or not that it can cause conflict, but conflict can arise. So he says, what's the solution? When you have different energies, what brings different energies together? A force that transcends them both. And what's the force on planet Earth that is from the eight, that, that carries with it the ain't so flight, the infinite light, that can bring opposites together in the, in the most beautiful way? It's Torah. So he's saying, and you may think it sounds overly simplistic, but study Torah, create world peace. That's literally what he's saying. Study Torah, you have a different perspective. On life, that you're filled with, again, if you study, not you, if one studies Torah with an agenda, then we don't know if that's a pure experience, and then we don't know if the pure and self-light is filling that experience. But you study Torah for the sake of Torah. You're studying Torah, it's God's wisdom, I'm studying Torah. Without even knowing it, the mind, the body, the person is filled with an ain't self-light, a greater light, and that has a, the power to unify a person within themselves, in other words, that they're balanced, inner balance, and at, at inner peace, and also external peace. Relationships are better. Um, they're, able, they're more tolerant of others. If a person studies Torah and becomes intolerant, again, I, I'm, trying, I'm not judging, I'm just saying based on this, it probably means that the Torah that one studied was... Let's just speak in a positive way. Maybe the person can study a little bit more for the pure sake of Torah study because then it will help bring the Ain't So Flight, which then is the ultimate joiner and not divider. Does that make sense? Okay. Now we're ready to jump into pleasure. 69. Uh, sorry, 68, chapter 31. Here we go. It is known. Let me get the... Here we go. Chapter 31, it is known that the verse in Proverbs, God established the earth with wisdom. It says, It's God with wisdom established the earth. So what does that mean that God established the earth with wisdom? That refers specifically to the wisdom of Torah. And this is something that is well explored in many parts of Jewish thought from the verse in Proverbs, Right? which alludes to the fact that God created the world with Torah, to the Midrash and the Talmud and Kabbalah. You know, you've probably heard me say the expression that the Torah is the blueprint of creation. You've heard me say that before. Torah is the blueprint of creation. That's coming from Zohar, but it's also, it's also discussed in the Midrash. It says in the Zohar clearly that God, like, like a builder who looks at the plans and then builds, God, created, God had the Torah and then created the world. So this verse that says God established the earth with wisdom, it means... God created the earth with chachma, with wisdom. But it means not just God did it in a smart way, but God used Torah, the wisdom of Torah, to create the world. So he's now explaining this. So it's known that the verse, God established the earth with wisdom, refers specifically to the wisdom of Torah. For only in it, only in Torah, can the infinite ain't so flat be enclosed and revealed. That's a powerful line. How can you bring down infinite light into a finite reality? It's only through the magic of Torah. Torah is able to, Torah, which is a finite item, a finite, you know, topics and whatever it is, Torah, which is something tangible somewhat, contains within it the infinite Ein Sof light. And that's the core, that's the foundation of the world. For Torah, he says, preceded the world. 
as it is written, and I, Torah, was unto him, this is also from Proverbs, I, Torah, was unto him, delights. Basically, um, in King Solomon writes in Proverbs, in, uh, what is this, Proverbs uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 30, so it's from the vantage point, the perspective of Torah. Torah is speaking, so to speak, and says, I, Torah, was to God as a delight. In other words, I was God's delight. I was God's pleasure. Referring to the supernal delights, Sha'ashuyim Atzmiyim, supernal delights, called the delights, page 69, of the king and his essence. Torah is the delight of the king, God, in his essence. The deepest level of delight. Pure, essential delight. I'm going to keep that highlighted. Pure, essential delight. Top of 69. Totally superior to the level of Chachma. So again, understand this. Torah has an intellectual element, but Torah has an essential element. Torah is Chachma. You study Torah, you're studying wisdom. But Torah is much more than divine wisdom. It's divine delight. Remember I told we spent a long time exploring the hierarchy within the human being, how there's behavior, there's emotion, there's intelligence, there's desire, and then there's delight or pleasure. That's the highest level. He says here that Torah is not just divine wisdom. It's not just divine will. Let me explain those two. It's not just divine wisdom. God thinks this way. You're going to study God's thinking. It's not just divine will. You're studying what God wants you to do and doesn't want you to do. It's God's pleasure. This is God's pure essential delight. And when we study Torah, we're accessing the core pleasure of God. That's very deep. Tapping into God's pure pleasure. The delights... Include, let's continue, second line 69. The delights, plural, plural, include Archoser, reflected light, and Aryasher, direct light. I'm going to give you one way to understand this. So there's two types of light. Physically, I'm going to give you a very, very tangible example. You're standing outside on a hot summer day, and it's very bright, and the light is coming from the sun. It's coming from the sun. To you. That's what we call our yashar. Straight, direct light. Direct sunlight. Our choser is reflected light. That's when you take your same day, now you take a mirror. And you take the mirror and you reflect the sunlight onto a blade of grass. And what happens to the blade of grass? You can actually cause it to burn through a mirror. And the question is, it doesn't make sense. The direct sunlight doesn't cause, it's not spontaneously combusting the field or the grass, right? But you take a mirror and you, 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 you point the, the ray at the, the ray of the sun at the, um, at the grass, now it starts burning. Yeah, because our yasher, the, the uh, sorry, our choser, the reflected light is actually more powerful than, than direct light. To give you a human example, that's a natural example, a human example, our yasher refers to a tzaddik. Direct light, doing all the things, doing everything right. Archoser, reflected light, is somebody who comes back. Somebody who wasn't always in a good place, but comes back to a good place. That power, that light is stronger 
than the tzaddik. The Talmud famously says that the place where a Baal Shuvah stands, a tzaddik can't stand. In other words, a tzaddik can't reach that place. A tzaddik is somebody who is perfection. The, ba the Baal Shuvah is somebody who tasted the other side and still came back. In other words, someone who has the reflected light bounced off from a place, from an opposition, from a place of obstruction, that actually increases and intensifies the light. So when it comes to Torah, I, one could say that what the meaning of this paragraph is, and again, this is very Kabbalistic, and it's, this is written right here in a way that's very um, illusionary. It's not very, he doesn't write it like super, super like broken down. It's kind of like, you know, alluding to these ideas. So this is the way I understand it. We said Torah is, is Ein Sof light. How do you get, how do you access the infinite light in this world? Planet Earth, limited, everything is Tzimtzum, everything is limited here. How do you access Ein Sof? To Torah. On Torah on, on Torah's terms, not on our terms, on Torah's terms. He said, Torah is not only wisdom of God, which is still stuck here, so to speak. Again, God doesn't have head, but wisdom is still not the high. It's pure pleasure. It's pure delight. It's essential delight of God. What's the delight? Both are Yashar and are Choser. Both when we do it right, and even when we don't do it 100% right, but we then come back to it. In other words, it's not only the perfection that God desires, that gives God pleasure, but it's also the imperfection and the rebound from imperfection that God desires and has, not desires, that God has pleasure and delights. And does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes? That's, I think, what he's saying here is that this is, Torah, Torah is the, the, the delights of the king, of God. It's plural. It includes both our choser and our yasher. Both rebounded light, light that came back from, a, from, a, from an opposite place, and also the direct light. This is indicated, let's continue, this is indicated by the above word for delight, sha'ashuyim, which contains the letter shin ayin twice, sha'a sha'a. I mean, not in English, Shasha. Sha. I'm not quieting anybody. I'm just saying, the, the Hebrew, it's shin ayin, shin ayin twice. And the root sha'a means movement and turning. As in the verse, then God turned vayosha to hevel and his offering. It says in Genesis 4, it says that God turned to hevel, to, uh, to Ab um, Abel, uh, the way it's in, in English. Cain and Abel, remember Cain and Abel. So they both brought an offering. God rejected Cain's offering. God turned to Abel's offering, Hevel's offering. So that word for turn is Vayosha. And, and that means movement. So when we talk about Sha'ashuyim, the word for delight in Hebrew that's used in Proverbs referring to Torah, it says Sha'ashuyim, Shin Ayin, Shin Ayin twice. That means two types of turning. God turns to us, our Yashar and our Choser. So again, let's read it inside. The repetition of the two key root letters represents two antithetical movements, two contradictory movements. God has both the light of our Choser, the rebound, and the delight of our Yosher, the direct, which are combined as discussed elsewhere. It's unbelievable. And again, you can understand this because he's speaking very, very... Um, he's not giving you concrete examples of what he's referring to. He keeps it kind of open-ended in, the, con in the, the realm of concepts. So I'm, I'm explaining it in one way that it resonates for me. You could explain it in many different ways, I'm sure, but this is one way that it resonates with me. God has pleasure in Torah. 
and God has pleasure when we connect with Torah, God also has pleasure when we make a mistake and then come back. So there's two forms of pleasure. There's the pleasure that's direct and the pleasure that's the rebound. There's the, 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 there's the direct, straight pleasure and then there's the indirect pleasure. And they're antithetical movements. The tzaddik and the Baal they're in opposite places, so to speak, but both represent, both represent God's divine pleasure, pure pleasure. And because of that, because God desires and, and delights in both, that makes them combined. So somebody might say, oh, I can't hang out with that person. I'm a tzaddik and they're not. Right? Speak about human, on a very practical level, divisiveness. Like, we judge others. We judge others. We say, oh, that person did that or is like that. Eh, not for me. And God delights in both. God delights in both perfection and imperfection. This all, let's continue inside and we'll wrap and we'll end with this paragraph. This also corresponds to the joining of chesed and gvura within the pure delight of the Ein Sof itself. Yeah, chesed meaning pure kindness, which would be the aryasher, the straight direct light, and gvura would be the severity, you know, messing up and, the, and then coming back from that place, from a, from a place of darkness. That would be the gvura. So this joins chesed and gvura within the pure delight of the Ein Sof, which is, which is, which is this element of Torah. This presence of chesed and gvur is alluded to in Tukune Zohar, which is a part of Zohar, where it says, quote, the infinite Ein Sof light extends upward without end and descends downward without limits. It says, you know what, we'll start with this. I'm going to explain a little bit, but next week we're going to do a deep dive into this because this powerful idea. It says the Ein Sof light both extends upward without end and downward without limits. There are multiple ways in Kabbalah to explain that one line. It's a very famous line in Tukun Zohar. Lamai lamayla adin kates, ulamata mata adin tachlis. It's above, above, above without end, and below, below, below without limit. What does that mean? On a basic level, chesed and gvura. We have the idea of chesed, pure light above, and gvura means limitation, tzimtzum, Limited light below. But of course, it means much more than that, which we'll explore next week. Uh, that's how we'll start the class. So, in summation of the new paragraph, well, we learned two new paragraphs, but at least the latest paragraph that we studied right now in chapter 31, which is a very important idea. S still speaking about the power of Torah and the power of Torah study to heal within ourselves and to heal between us and others. What's, wherein lies the power within Torah? He says, because Torah is basically Ein Sof light on earth, which is impossible because the world, the Ein Sof light had to go away to create a limited world. That's what the Tzimtzum was about. You couldn't have Ein Sof light and have a world because they're a contradiction. If you had infinite light, how do you have a finite world? So the infinite light had to be concealed and contracted to then create the world. But once the world is created, God then, it's kind of like, I'm thinking like Lahavdil, like... Um, from another planet, like another, like an alien force, like a, again, aliens, um, like a Superman, like a, right? Like a, an Ains of Light incarnate, right here. We have an Ains of Light at our fingertips. 
It's divine wisdom. It's divine will. It's divine pleasure. It's all of the above. It's truth. Last, par- last chapter. It's truth. And it brings together opposites. Because it's true. Because it's essential. Because it's pure. It brings together opposites. And the latest thing, which I think is really powerful, is that it also has space for imperfection. It also is able to tolerate, you would think, Torah only tolerates perfection. It's true, it can only tolerate truth. But if truth can only tolerate truth, how true is it? Right? Because it's divisive now. We said that truth is not divisive. Real truth is not divisive. So if you can only handle truth, so the, the, the ain't so of the infinite is so big, it can handle that which is pure and that which is also not 100% pure. Or in the language of, 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 of this text, the aryashar, the straight, direct light, the tzaddik, but also the archosha, the one, the, the person who's been, been around the block a few times also and hasn't always done everything perfect, but is now turning toward a good, a good place. That's the power of Torah. That's the power of divine pleasure. That's the power of divine delight. God delights in us as we are where we are without the judgment, without the negativity, without the, harsh, without the harshness. And I would say the more we study Torah and get connected not just with the ideas of Torah and not just with, what, with the will of Torah, what, God, what, what the Torah wants from us, but also with the pleasure of Torah, the delight of Torah, which delights in every one of us. The more we get in touch with that, the more we can get along with others who may act, think, feel differently than us. At the end of the day, to heal the world We have to be able to embrace. And to be able to embrace, we have the gift of Torah that is the ultimate embracer. I hope this makes sense. Um, On a very practical level, the practical takeaway, study Torah. It's the real thing, (laughs) right? Study Torah. It's good for us. It's good for the soul. It's good for the body. It's good for the psyche. It's good for the emotions. And it's good for world peace. It's truth. It brings together, it unifies, it's divine, it's pure pleasure. It's not like associated pleasure. It's core, pure pleasure. All right, have a wonderful week. This is Sunday, so we can wish each other Shavua Tov. Have a wonderful week. May this week be filled with Torah study. And if you need to study Torah, I know a few places that you can study uh, this week. So filled with Torah study. And I, I know, and I, I hope that it's the, you're also, you also feel the same way that when we study Torah, we're uplifted, we're transported to a, to, a, to a different place, to a place of connection and peace and love. And so may the good vibes continue throughout the whole week, and may we be able to slowly, slowly, not even slowly, may we be able to very soon heal all of the fractures that may divide us. All right. Thank you all for joining. Any questions or comments? Fire away. Thank you very much. Beautiful class. My very pleasure. Clear and very practical and very mystical. Thank, thank you, you very thank much. you. It definitely was mystical, and, and I'm hoping I was able to, to take the Ain Sof, the infinite, and maybe make it a little bit uh, understand. I will tell you, it's, I, 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 didn't mention, I haven't mentioned this at all since we started over a year ago. I, I probably have to mention it at some point very soon. This has 32 chapters, 
But at the end of chapter 32, you know what it says? Here ends the part of the manuscript that was presented for publication. You know what that means? There was more. There was more to it. But this is, this is all we have. Which means that it comes to a little bit of a, a, little bit of a stop. So you could see this in the development. I, again, I, I don't want to, who am I to analyze you know, a, a mystical discourse you know, on that level, but there's a lot of development that goes on in many of the chapters where it presents a big Kabbalistic idea, but then it really fleshes it out and explains it like down, down, right here. And most of this series was like that. But here at the end, it kind of just throws these big, big, big ideas and we're left to kind of, on our own, kind of translate it into, into action. So I'm, I'm the, you, today you got the way that I'm translating it for myself and, and you know, the way I think, what I think it means. So, but again, this is only one, one form of, of analysis on it. There's other forms, but this is the way I understand it. And hopefully it's resonating and, and I'm hoping that both are coming across. The big ideas and the lofty part of it, but also the practical. So thank you, Mariana, for for mentioning that, I appreciate, I appreciate the sentiments. Um, okay, good. Like I said, today is, tonight we have the IJ Book Club for those that are, that are part of that. Tomorrow night we have RCS, Rosh Chodesh Society. Tuesday and Thursday we have the JLI course. Wednesday is Torah Studies. And you'll see soon, probably already tomorrow or the next day, a bunch of new things coming up, including, I'm so excited, I think I'm going to share this. <sighs> Does anybody remember? Um, oh, oh, yeah. Thank you, David. Yeah, there's a shluchim. Yeah, so this weekend. Oh, I don't know how to mention this. All right, very quickly, because I know it's late. Very quickly. This week is the annual Chabad Rabbi Conference in New York. But no one's in New York because, you know, coronavirus. You can't bring 4,000, 5,000 rabbis from across the world into New York in a, health, in a safe way. So everyone's, you know, Zooming and it's online. So there's always a banquet that streams online, and the banquet's usually like 5 o'clock in the afternoon-ish, around that time. This year, they're doing it 1 o'clock because it's online anyway, so might as well let Ukraine and Israel and Australia, on some level, join at a decent time. So, but it's available for, the, for everyone to, to, to tune into. So just go, I, I don't know offhand the URL, but I would go to Chabad.org. It's probably, you have it? Oh, what's the thing? Um, oh, here we go. Yeah, this is Okay. Oh, he sent it? Oh, Rabbi Shusman. Oh, there you go. Um, it looks like Rabbi Shusman sent an email while we were classing. It's kinos.com slash grand event. Sounds a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. I'm going to put it in the chat box. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Um, kinos.com slash grand event. I would have gone chabad.org slash banquet, but that's just me. Call me crazy. I guess it's not a banquet because no one's you know, eating food or whatever. But, oh wait, I don't want to only send this to you, David. Let's send this to everybody. Kinos, kinos in Hebrew means conference or gathering. So kinos.com slash grand event. Oh, Rabbi, I think they'll be eating food. I think they're just yeah. not eating together. <laughs> right, right. No, you're right. You're right. 100%. Who's not eating? But one o'clock for a banquet. Uh, it's kind of like a more of a lunch. Whatever. It's a little bit. Um, Thank you, Karen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, all right, so, yeah, so join, I'll be online, so join me and, you know, thousands of others. It should be fun. Um, by the way, the keynote address for tonight, 
I'm telling you, you guys think that may, maybe you think, I don't know what you think or not, but you might think, well, you know, Atlanta, we're just one community. Listen to this. You know who the keynote speaker is tonight? Rabbi Mendel Kalmanson, who we had at our dinner a few months ago. You remember Rabbi Kalmanson from, from London, the author of the book? Right, remember my brother-in-law was singing by our annual dinner. Rabbi Kalmanson was the guest speaker, and now Chabad Global has him as their keynote address. I'm just saying that they're following our lead, and, and that's it. So we got him first, we had him as our keynote, and then the fame spread, and now the global organization, or whatever, I don't know, the global, it's like, it reminds me of somebody, Chabad Rabbi is speaking to, to somebody, says, hey, why don't you come to Chabad, you'll enjoy it. It's like, you know, Rabbi, I don't like organized religion. The Chabad Rabbi says, have you seen Chabad? There's nothing organized about it. Are you kidding me? Come join. Anyway, that's a joke. We're very organized, but also, you know, not, uh, not in the box either. So join us if you wish, 1 o'clock, kinos.com slash grand event. Um, thank you, Karen, again. So many, so, so very nice to, uh, to, to, to have you on and to hear all the, all the positive notions. Thank you for joining. Remember, oh, oh, I forgot to mention, the go- Chinese food, December 24th. We did a thing last year. Remember, we had an in-person gathering with Chinese dinner, and, and, as, and I gave a lecture. So this year, I'm working on this. I have to, get, I have to finalize it. But Chinese dinner to go with an online, community-wide game night. That's the plan. Save the date, December 24th. You're going to eat well and have the time of your life. That's the plan. Anyway, more details to follow. All right. Um, That's it. That's not it, but that's it for now. And we'll see you soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day. All right. I found, if you want to order the book, I found that... uh... That's right, they went back in print.